Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch crushing. Deep left field. This is one Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. We have even more trades and a bunch of action to recap. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today on Tuesday, August 2nd. Frank Sample joined by Scott White. Only our, I don't know, third podcast of the day, technically, Scott. I'm losing count. But anyway, we've got a lot to talk about. Today on the podcast, we'll recap the latest trades. Your Atlanta Braves have been a little bit busy. Take a look at July's leaders. I have a hitter to buy. If you could still buy, I feel like most trade deadlines either are happening right now, approaching, maybe just passed, but maybe a buzzer. Well, I don't think we're there yet. I, I think most trade deadlines are after the actual trade deadline, aren't they? Most fantasy deadlines. I think we got a couple more weeks still. I don't know, because my leagues are kind of all over the place. One of them is yeah. tomorrow when we're recording this. I know the Dynasty League was on Sunday, and then I have a few that are a couple of weeks in advance, so... It depends on your yeah, league. Yeah, that's, that's one of those things that, you know, we, there, ha- there hasn't really been a standard established, I feel like, for when the trade deadline should be in fantasy baseball. That's true. But I think a lot of people have some time left. All right. Well, good news then. I do have a hitter that I would like to buy. Jesus Lazardo made his return and much more. But let's jump in. Oh, my good- goodness gracious. Oh, my goodness gracious. The standout from Monday. Scott asked me before we started, who is the breadstick? There was no breadstick. So, who are you going mm. with? Mm. Going with the bowl of soup, I guess. I like soup. I am going with my favorite player coming into the year, Salva Ding Dong Perez, Ooh. who did it again. Oops, he did it again here on Monday. He's been back four games from this thumb surgery. He's homered. Three times, three times, and this home run here on Monday was a, something to behold, friends. He killed that ball to right center. Uh, officially, it was 452 feet. Damn. I heard a lot of skepticism from folks on the Royals who thought it was more like 500. You just you just got to see it for yourself. It was a massive, massive shot for Salva Ding Dong Perez. And like I said, three and four games since he returned. 
like, but I mean, just just seeing the enormity of that home run should serve as a reminder. Like, it wasn't a fluke that he hit 48 home runs last year. I suppose you could argue it was a fluke in the sense that no catcher had ever done it before. And so, you know, probably safe not to bet on a catcher doing it again, at least for not for a very long time. But Salvador Perez, you know, this this wasn't, this wasn't Brady Anderson hitting 50 home runs in 1996. Salvador Perez crunches the ball, like extremely hard contact. And you wonder, I mean, given that the, this thumb injury sidelined him twice, just how long he was dealing with it if, it, if it may have kept his numbers down early in the year in a way we weren't hearing about because he certainly seems ready to make up for lost time now. So anybody watching on YouTube... My eyes were looking at my my side computer here, and they lit up. What was I looking at? I was <laughs> I was watching that home run, Scott. That that was an insane shot. Like it looked five hundred feet. So uh, I don't know yep. how accurate four fifty two is, but that was a a mammoth home run for Salvador Perez. And uh, you're right. I mean, we hear about injuries a lot. You know, a lot of the times it's like after the season. We don't know how long a player has been playing through an injury. DJ LeMahieu comes to mind last year, and we'll we'll talk about him a little bit later on on the podcast. But Salvador Perez, you're right. He's back three homers in four games. Uh, the the batted ball data, 89th percentile average exit velocity, 82nd percentile barrel rate. You know, he's not one of the best uh, in terms of uh, hard contact this year, like he was last year, but. Still really, really good for a catcher. So Yeah, uh, and, and the thumb may have been holding him back. True. So, uh, yeah, I'm thinking better days coming here in the second half for Salvi as long as he can stay healthy. Fingers crossed. For me, oh my goodness gracious, Spencer Watkins, I feel like we talk about him whenever he has a good start, but we just kind of brush it under the rug. We're like, eh, you know, it's Spencer Watkins. Is there anything actually here? I don't know. Let's talk about it. Uh, another strong start at the Texas Rangers. Six innings, one run, five strikeouts to zero walks. He only had seven swinging strikes in this one. What is he doing differently this year? He is throwing a new slider this season, about 18%, which has been a pretty good pitch for him. It's, it doesn't have a crazy whiff rate or anything, but the results have been solid. Uh, that's really what stands out as the biggest difference for him so far this season. Six starts since rejoining the Orioles rotation. Spencer Watkins, a 1.85 ERA, 26 strikeouts, just five walks. So the control has been fantastic during that time. 11.6% swinging strike rate. So that's pretty good, Scott. I like that. It's good ballpark now to pitch in in Camden, 21% rostered. This isn't a standard league ad or anything, but in deeper leagues, Spencer Watkins is kind of interesting right now. What do you think? Well, I mean, if he can, if he can maintain that, uh, those ratios over that smaller stretch you're referring to. I mean, that sounds like a, a decent enough pitcher. Uh, you know, not not going to be a high-end type necessarily, but somebody you could start with the right matchups. If uh, if if those are if those are ratios he, he can sustain, if he can continue to strike out, um, continue to get whiffs on 11 percent of his pitches and. Um, you know, keep the walks down like he has. I'm skeptical, but you know, among pitchers who it's it's getting hard to find pitchers on the waiver wire, right? And it, at least that we can talk about in this context, where we're like, oh, this guy's you know less than fifty percent rostered. It's it's hard to it's hard to have anyone to talk about in that range at that position. So, um, you know, I. Yes, we're forced to kind of like somebody at some point just because we can't not like everybody. I don't know. I, I <laughs> you could tell I'm trying really hard to say something nice about Spencer Watkins. I look, I remain skeptical too. It's overall that I think the ERA is still a touch over four, but I, this recent stretch that he's on, he's pitching well, and and the Orioles pitchers in general ha- have performed pretty well this season. So. Looks like they uh, either figured something out or obviously the, the changes they made to the ballpark have been helping their pitchers so long. Oh, well, yeah, so there's far that. This season. Probably, we probably need to talk about that more because we've we've talked, oh, this guy has a huge fly ball rate. And yeah, that, that might be having an impact on some of these guys. That's a good point. All right. So again, not a must add by any means. Shallower leagues, throw them on the scout team. Let's see where it goes. But Spencer Watkins pitching very well right now. Scott, I don't think there's anything here. It's a pretty light night in terms of waiver wire pitchers. 
But Aaron Sanchez struck out eight against the Tigers. Five innings, two runs, eight strikeouts, 17 swinging strikes on 81 pitches. His ERA is over seven. I don't think there's anything here, but what do you think? Well, yeah, and he hadn't made a start since uh, since he was in the Nationals organization back in May. And I don't know if he performed so well against the Tigers here that maybe he earned another turn, but there was talk it would just be a one-off anyway with Devin Smeltzer rejoining the rotation next time through. So I would agree. Aaron Sanchez, we could probably pass over. Uh, Hunter Green isn't, you know, still available in like a quarter of CBS Sports Leagues, and he he had a good start. He had an amazing start at the Marlins. Yeah. Six shutout, only one base runner in this game, one hit allowed, zero walks, eight strikeouts, 15 swinging strikes, 10 of those coming on the slider. His 127 strikeouts are 10th best in baseball this season. 79% rostered, so you're talking about 10-team leagues, maybe some shallower points leagues or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, or, you know, yeah. you may be listening and, and don't play on CBS, in which case he might sure. be much more available in your league. But he, he seems like he's... You know, three of his last four have been really good. I think in one of them he walked four, and so that's still an issue from time to time. Uh, but as you point out, the strikeouts are beginning to pile up for Hunter Green. You know, it helped that he was facing the Marlins this time, I understand. But there's clearly ability here, and uh, I would say I would say the gap needs to close on that roster rate. He needs to get to a point where we... I uh, can't cite him as a potential waiver wire pickup in any context because he's just too rostered for that. I'm not saying he's must start, but I, I'm saying the good the good starts are frequent enough now that uh, he, he's worth rostering for the right matchups. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think he should be on your roster, but you, you do kind of have to play the matchups with him. Last two starts against the Marlins, obviously fantastic matchups there. Uh, he is only 41% rostered if you play on Yahoo. So that is there you go. So Hunter makes Green. Big difference. Makes a big difference where you play. Yeah, that is massive. Uh, what about on the other side? Jesus Lozardo made his return to the rotation. First start since May 10th. He went five innings, gave up two runs, five strikeouts to zero walks. Love to see the control there for him. 12 swinging strikes on 81 pitches. And change up his pitch mix. First start back here. Ditch his four-seam fastball. Sinker was his primary fastball. So earlier this year, he was throwing his sinker about 17% and his four seam 30%. So accounting for almost 50% of his pitches, he only threw his sinker in this one. No four seam fastball, and he threw the sinker 40% in the start. That is Jesus Lozardo. And Scott, I kind of feel like this is something that might work for him because he has the the breaking pitch and the changeup where he can get whiffs on those. And then he can use the sinker to maybe help improve his ground ball rate and his efficiency and go deeper into starts. So I'm kind of interested in, in this pitch mix change for Jesus Lazardo. What do you think? Well, I liked, I liked what we saw from him before the injury more where he was just where that four seam fastball itself became a weapon because he was throwing it so much harder. Now, I don't know. I don't know if he decided with the elbow issue that he can't sustain that over the long haul. It's possible. And and maybe he will, uh, maybe the sinker will work better for the overall arsenal in that case. But like it, I still think the the winning strategy for Jesus Lazardo, regardless of what fastball he throws, regardless of how hard he throws it, is to just feature his curveball and changeup more. He did throw the changeup quite a bit more in this one, and that was nice to see because it, it's been, you know, he threw it only 15% of the time before the injury, but it's been his best swing and miss pitch. He threw the curveball a little less in this one. So, you know, uh, like you said, it kind of seems like he's experimenting a little with that arsenal and and maybe thinking about making some changes uh, as he as he recovers from this elbow injury. But overall, you can't complain about the results for Luzardo first start back. All right. I do have an update, actually, because uh, I just went back to Baseball Savant and they have changed the pitches that he used uh, after the fact. So he still did throw a four-seam fastball in this one, okay. 17%, and his sinker, 22%. So, uh, Well, in, in which case, that fastball, the velocity was down a little from where it was earlier in the year. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me see exactly f- how much. The four-seam, so they, they updated this after the fact, was down nearly two miles per hour compared to where it was earlier in the season. So that's 
That's pretty big. Okay. So all those, hang on a second. All those sinkers were four seamers, you're saying? No, so earlier in the (laughs) night, it was just 40% sinker. And then after the fact, I, I guess... They found a way to decipher the different pitches. Oh, 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 okay. It was 22% right. sinker, 17% four yeah. seam. So the, the four seam fastball was his fourth most thrown pitch, and the velocity was down 1.8. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, between these two, Scott, who would you rather have, Lazardo or Hunter Green? I would say Lazardo. I think so, too. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get into the rest of the trades that happened here on Monday and uh, leading into Tuesday should be a pretty fun day. The Cardinals acquired Jose Quintana and reliever Chris Stratton from the Pirates for pitcher Johan Oviedo and infielder Malcolm Nunez. Quintana this season, we've mentioned quite a bit, 3.50 ERA, 1.27 whip, 45% ground ball rate. He's 30% rostered. And I like this move, Scott, because I look for obvious reasons, the run support should be better, but really good defense behind him. Obviously, moving to one of the best organizations in baseball with the Cardinals. And for what it's worth, they have the second easiest remaining schedule the Cardinals do based on opponent winning, uh, opponent winning percentage. So, really good schedule remaining for Quintana. Good team. 30% rostered. Uh, are you more excited to go out and pick up Quintana now? Yeah, I mean, I think you'd have to. That's a, you know, it doesn't get much better than leaving the Pirates for a. A team that's contending for something that's a pretty big upgrade there. I, I mean, I don't think there's a ton of upside for Quintana still, but I think he can, you know, as long as he keeps doing what he's doing, you know, having a 350 ERA on the year, uh, I'd like to see him go six innings more consistently, and, and maybe the Cardinals will make different decisions with him in, as far as that goes. But I think he could be. I mean, he was already kind of a matchups type, but I think he could be even a better matchups type now, I guess. Would you rather have Jose Quintana or Spencer Watkins? I'd rather have Quintana. I think so, too. Let's talk about those Braves, Scott. They're making moves. They have officially acquired Robbie Grossman from the Tigers, and it sounds like they're acquiring Jake Odorizzi as well. I know that trade wasn't confirmed by the team yet, but uh, it seems like it's Mm -hmm. trending that way. Uh, what are your takeaways here for Grossman and Odorizzi? Not much to say for Grossman. He's always been a lefty match masher, so I presume he's going to be form kind of a platoon with Eddie Rosario. I don't know how strict it'll be, but you know, it's not like Eddie Rosario's particularly top of mind in fantasy right now anyway. The more concerning one is Jake Odorizzi, and I say concerning not because of what it means for him, but because of what it could potentially mean for Spencer Strider. Don't do it, guys. Don't take Spencer Strider out of the rotate. <laughs> we don't want to see that. Nobody wants to see that. The baseball world would weep if the Braves remove Spencer Strider, whose starts have become uh, as close to must watch as anyone starts. I mean, when, when, when Spencer Strider's ready, uh, warming up for his start pitching ninjas cracking his knuckles getting ready to capture some capture some uh, footage to share on the twitter machine and uh it'd be sad if he you know like there's a justification for it the innings you know he, he didn't throw that he didn't how many did he throw so i just year? calculated last year 96 and a third that's everything yeah. So he's already over that, right? Not by much, but... No, he's at 80, 80 and a third this season. Okay. Okay, so... He's got some wiggle room, man. I, yeah, I, I, he has wiggle room. It, and it, and I could be, like, kind of a... You know, I could be kind of being kind of... Think of the worst-case scenario here. Maybe they're just going to go six-man to kind of, you know, slow him down a little bit, slow down Ian Anderson, Kyle Wright. Uh, space out their starts a little more so that they're able to do what they need to do in the playoffs as well. Uh, maybe Joe Gatter- Jake Odorizzi will just be a spot starter. I mean, they don't they didn't really have anyone to fall back on, especially after Kyle Muller got hurt in the minors. There there was no, like who who would be next if they needed somebody to start. They didn't really have anybody. So it, 
makes sense from that perspective. But, you know, the Astros really didn't think Odorizzi was capable of pitching out of the bullpen. So I don't know what role he has if he's not a starter. And yeah, I don't want to see them remove Strider. Nobody wants to see them remove Strider from the rotation because he's been a great fantasy asset in that role. Yeah, he's a borderline top 25 ranked starting pitcher for all three of you, Chris, and myself. That's Spencer Strider that we're talking about. So uh, strikeouts have been awesome. Whiff rate has been amazing. We, we want to continue to see him start. Uh, and again, yeah. I, I think there's some wiggle room here. So I, yeah, hope, there is. I hope that's there is. not the case. Um, maybe this is just a depth ad for, for the Braves. And But they also traded Will Smith in the deal. Correct. Which If the, if the deal goes through as expected, which means that you know there's an opening in the bullpen now. Yeah. And we were So that's you know and, and another thing is like I I don't if if I heard the Braves were acquiring Jake Odorizzi a week ago, I would have said, "Oh, this probably means they're going to send Ian Anderson down to the minors to get right." But, you know, he's coming off his best start in a very long time. So I don't think that's the plan, at least not not right away. Yeah, we were talking beforehand about how the trade of Will Smith might mean that they want Strider back in the bullpen because now they have that opening. So obviously one's a righty and one's a lefty. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. Um, but we're just going to put that idea in your mind that there is a chance that Spencer Strider uh, gets moved to the bullpen as a result of this move. Although we're not rooting for that. Christian Vasquez was traded to the Astros for infielder Emmanuel Valdez and outfielder Willier Abreu. And Vasquez this season was batting 282 with eight homers, 42 RBI, his 2.4 fantasy points per game tied for 14th at the catcher position, and he was the eighth best catcher in Roto and Categories Leagues. Uh, I don't think that there's a big park shift change. Obviously, uh, right-handed batters in Fenway is a great place to hit as well. Um, but the lineup is, I would say, at least a little bit better. So could be mm-hmm. stock up here for Christian Vasquez. Yeah, it could be. I mean the eighth best catcher to this point already exceeded what I expected for him coming into the season. So, you know, I'm not counting on much changing for him with this move. I do think the, the player, the Red Sox acquired in Manuel Valdez is, is very interesting. His numbers between double a and triple a this year. Do you have those Frank? I don't have them here on the rundown, but I can pull them up and he's someone that whenever I look at, Last 30 days, I do it every couple of weeks just on uh, the minor league baseball website. He's someone that always pops up. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, he's been on fire all season long. So, between double and triple A, he's batting 327, 21 homers, a 1016 OPS in 82 games. Uh, he doesn't place high on traditional prospect lists. I th- for a couple reasons, he has that positionless thing going on that always seems to deflate a, a hitter stock where they, you know, they've tried him in a bunch of different places. I'm not sure that they're totally thrilled with him at any of those spots. The one he has played the most though, this year is second base where the Red Sox currently have an opening with Trevor story on the IL. Uh, and then the other reason is he's five foot nine. So you wouldn't expect somebody of that size to generate the kind of power he is, but, I feel like when you when there's a player who's you know dominating to that extent and isn't getting much credit from traditional prospect evaluators more often than not the traditional evaluators it it looks like a miss for them. That's not always the case. Sometimes they're proven absolutely right. I think of Josh Rojas. You know, I I say that but Josh Rojas, you know, he's 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 a factor. He's not a nobody. Mm-hmm. He's just not nearly as good as he was in that 2019 season when he would destroy, you know, he, he took a wrecking ball to the minors, basically the way en- en- Manuel Valdez has been doing. But, you know, long story short, I think en- Manuel-, en Manuel Valdez was already somebody who deserved more attention in Dynasty Leagues. It's just kind of a pick up, pick him up. You know, maybe he gets called up this year. Maybe he doesn't. Uh, but you see where it goes see where he goes with it. And I think that, you know, now that his name is in the headlines again because of this Christian Vasquez trade, I I think that that goes double. All right. The next move that the Red Sox made, they acquired Tommy Pham for a player to be named later. And it seems like Tommy Pham should 
fit into left field mm-hmm. for the Boston Red Sox, unless I'm missing something right now. Uh, well, no, the, they have they have an open like they have Jackie Bradley, but you know, whatever. right? It's Jackie Bradley, right. so yeah. No, I, I suspect Fam, who who by the way has been a top forty outfielder in both of the scoring formats, so he hasn't been. He's really you know, kept, sl- he's really slowed down over the past month, but well, and he's he's hitting like two thirty overall. He hasn't lived up to our hopes when we see that ninety first percentile average exit velocity for him, and I, I suspect his value doesn't change much with this move either. There's always a chance when a player goes to a a park as unorthodox as Fenway, you know, it has a tendency to inflate players, Babips and, and maybe Tommy Pham as hard as he hits the ball, it'll, it'll play a little better there. He gets a lot of cheap hits off the green monster or whatever. There is that chance. I'm not betting on it, but I'm, I'm going to keep an open mind with it. I guess we should point out, um, Going from the NL to the AL, that's that's a pretty massive ad for anyone who plays in AL only leagues. So, uh, Tommy Pham will become available for you. He is sixty two percent rostered on CBS. A couple other moves: Jake Diekman was traded to the Red Sox. Does that make sense? Or was he traded to the White Sox? I think he was traded to the White Sox. Yeah, he was already a Red Sox. He was already <laughs> too many Sox going on here. He was traded to the White Sox in exchange for catcher Reese McGuire. So that should help fill the void left behind by Christian Vasquez. Luke Weaver was traded to the Royals in exchange for third baseman Emmanuel Rivera. Uh, we did a Josh Hader emergency podcast earlier on Monday where we talked about Esteri Ruiz potentially playing center field for the Brewers. Well, he's already been optioned to AAA with his new team, so I don't think we'll see him, uh, at least for the foreseeable future here, uh, with the Brewers. And then the latest rumors, the Cardinals are unwilling to include Dylan Carlson and their top prospects for Juan Soto, which doesn't really make much sense to me, but uh, we'll see. The Cardinals... It, it depends how many top prospects they're talking about there, but... yeah. But yeah, I don't I don't know that Dylan Carlson should be the hang up as that the phrasing of that tweet makes it sound. What do you think the package looks like at this point, Scott? Is it Mason Wynn, Jordan Walker, Dylan Carlson plus? I mean, if if the Cardinals can get it done without trading Jordan Walker, like just just pile as many names on there as you need to for the for the Nationals to accept it without Walker. You know, Gordon Graceffo has been brought up. Yeah. Um I can't imagine. Nolan Gorman has been brought up. That's I, true. I think I, I'd be willing to move all of them if, if it allowed me to keep Jordan Walker. Because Walker's the one guy in the organization, you know, not not counting established stars like Goldschmidt and, and Arenado. Uh, Jordan Walker's the one guy in the organization who I think has that perennial all-star type upside that you're you're getting with Soto. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's always a long shot that a prospect lives up to that upside. So there's still an argument to be made for including Jordan Walker. But if there's a way to do it without including him, you know, I I, I think the Cardinals would be crazy to pass that up. Yeah, because you get two and a half years of him. It's not like this is a rental. You know, it's it's not even close to it. Two and a half years. Yeah. Inside track on re-signing him potentially. And I'll, I'll look on the flip side, if you're the Nationals, of course you you don't want to make a trade without getting Jordan Walker in that deal. So yeah, we'll see. It should be a very hectic uh, Tuesday here. Cardinals, Padres, and Dodgers are still uh, leading the charge there for Juan Soto. And speaking of the Dodgers, they do have interest in Pablo Lopez. And I saw Ian Happ is a fallback option if they miss out on Juan Soto. Uh, we will save the July leaders for after the break. But before we do that, just a reminder to join our Facebook group if you haven't already. Facebook.com slash groups slash fantasy baseball today. Or just go on Facebook, search up fantasy baseball today, and you'll be able to find the group. You could join up. A lot of people asking uh, waiver wire questions, trades, keeper, dynasty, anything that you have, lineup decisions, you could throw it in there. Uh, it's a really fun community. Make sure to join up if you haven't already. We'll take a break and be back right after this. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. 
The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The news and notes. Fernando Tatis felt good taking batting practice on Monday, and he expects to begin a rehab assignment later in the week, mid-August. It's looking like a like a real possibility for Fernando Tatis. <laughs> Hopefully. Remember when we thought it was going to be June 1st? Ah. <laughs> Oh, man. No more motorcycles, Fernando Tatis. That's my biggest takeaway. Bryce Harper had his pins removed from his left thumb on Monday. And like Fernando Tatis, we're looking at a mid-August timeline there. Austin Riley, Scott, I don't know. You can kind of break this down. I don't really know what's going on. It's it's just interesting timing. Austin Riley signed a 10-year, $212 million contract with a club option for 2033. Now, he's 25 years old. He's in the running for the MVP, you can argue, you know, play out your your team control years and, and hit free agency and maybe make more money. The mm. security of a 10-year contract and over $200 million, that's a lot of money. I don't know. I kind of see both sides. What do you think, Scott? Well, I mean, the Braves have never given this much money to anybody all at once or assigned anybody to a deal this long. So it's, it's, a, it's a record-setting contract for... For Austin Riley in a couple of ways. Uh, their previous biggest contract handed out, by the way, was Matt Olson after they traded for him earlier this year. And this exceeds that one by like $80 million. You know, I'm a creature of habit. I'm, I, like, I like to feel comfortable. I don't like having my, my world rocked every three or four years, personally. I, I think if I'm happy in a place and they give me a, make a competitive offer for me that's going <laughs> to give me lifetime financial stability, I'd probably take it too. I, I realize not everybody's wired that way. Some people like to move around a bunch, but that's, uh, you know, I, I think I think Austin Riley's happy. They're, you know, he's, he's getting a raise in the immediate term because he probably, I think this was his first year of arbitration this year. So, you know, the, the way arbitration, the, there's the gradual salary increases from year to year. He's, he's going to get more money up front and, of course, uh, doesn't have to worry about a setback or a decline or an injury or anything like that. He's, he's locked in for $22 million a year. I guess it averages $21 million a year. But most of those years, he's making $22 million for the next decade. And, and yeah, I mean, it shows a lot of part, a lot of faith on the Braves' part, giving him this unprecedented contract. Um, you know, we were just talking yesterday, MVP caliber production two years in a row. That, that, that probably means he's legit, and I guess the Braves feel the same way. And the Braves now have Riley, Acuna, Albies and Matt Olson all signed through 2027 is what I saw. So uh, the nucleus is around for, for quite some time there with the Atlanta Braves. Chris Bryant was placed on the IL with plantar fasciitis in his left foot. If it's not the back, it's the foot, it's something, it's this, it's that rough go here for uh, Chris Bryant, his first season in Colorado. Luis Severino was transferred to the 60 day IL on Monday, which means he is not eligible to return until September 13th. And I think that means you could drop him in any leagues with no IL spots. Again, that is Luis Severino. Dustin May is set to make two more rehab starts before returning from the IL. He threw 46 pitches in his most re recent rehab outing. 
and he is up to 74% rostered, so probably a couple of weeks away here for Dustin May. Rough season for Fran Reyes, Scott. The Guardians are expected to option Reyes to AAA prior to Tuesday's game. I know he's hitting around 210, 37% strikeout rate. We've seen some flashes here and there. It looks like he's coming around and then kind of falls flat on his face again. So, uh, yeah, rough season here for Fran Reyes. Alex Bregman was placed on the paternity list and will miss one to three days. Tarek Skubal left his start with left arm fatigue. He did throw five shutout innings against the Twins before leaving that start. John Gray left his start with left side discomfort and uh, had a pretty juicy two-start week lined up, so pretty unfortunate for John Gray. Trevor Rogers scheduled to throw a bullpen session Tuesday or Wednesday. He was placed on the IL last Friday with lower back spasms. And Will Benson was promoted by the Guardians on Monday. Just a name to throw on the scout team, Deeper Leagues. 24-year-old outfielder was batting 278, 17 homers, 16 steals, a 948 OPS in 89 games at AAA. Uh, and he was a former first-round pick back in 2016. So it's it's been quite some time. Uh, the name there, Will Benson. Maybe Adam in AL-only leagues and see where it goes. Let's take a look at the leaders from July. Scotty, and we'll start with the hitting side of things. Batting average, no surprise. I think we mentioned his name on every podcast last week. Alec Bohm, 434 batting average for the month. And just behind him, this will be a common theme today. Austin Riley, 423 batting average for the month. Home runs, Aaron Judge hit 13 in July. Austin Riley, 11. Run scored, Aaron Judge, 25 runs scored in <laughs> July. DJ LeMayhew, 24 runs scored, and I want to stop right there, Scott, because we haven't talked about DJ LeMahieu in a while, and he went three for four on Monday. Over his last 28 games, he's hitting 364, four homers, 28 runs, 11 RBI, two steals. He is the third best second baseman in head-to-head points over the last 28 days, and the 29th overall player in Roto slash category leagues during that stretch, so... You know, we had some skepticism. We didn't really know how to rank DJ LeMahieu coming into the season. Dealt with an injury last year. Had off-season surgery. Kind of just looks like DJ LeMahieu. Like, the power has bounced back a little bit. It, he's not going to yeah. be like a 20-plus home run hitter anymore. But batting average, runs, power that doesn't kill you. He looks like DJ LeMahieu again. Well, I, I mean, the last two months, he's been... He's had four home runs in each. I know you gave a, a stretch that was like the last month, basically, but you, if you take it back two months to the start of June, DJ LeMahieu is batting 317 with eight home runs and an OPS near 900. So that that does look like the the DJ LeMahieu we saw in 2019 and 2020, uh, his first couple of years with the Yankees, where he was an out and out stud in fantasy. And you know, he's he's eligible at second, as you mentioned. He's eligible at third. I think he's eligible at first, but why would you use him there when he's eligible at the <laughs> other two spots? And uh, I don't know. Uh, we we have seen the ball play, because remember, we were attributing his decline last year to the, the deadened ball that uh, then was even used more prevalently at the start of this year, but we've seen it. We've seen the environment change a lot in the last two months, and and I don't think it's a coincidence that DJ LeMay, whose power production has returned during that time. So it just it just makes it even harder to evaluate. I mean, I think for the rest of the season, you can just lock DJ LeMayhew in at any of the spots where he's eligible and and enjoy his production. But heading into next year, it's still going to be a bit of a, a bit of a quandary where to rank him. What just happened, Scott? I got this little like. Uh, <laughs> fidget toy it's a soccer ball that you spin and so i keep it on my desk and spin it a lot and it just fell off that's what happened <laughs> all righty uh dj lemayhew the home run to fly ball ratio plummeted last year i think a lot of it had to do with the injury that he was playing through 7.7 percent home run to fly ball ratio in the shortened 2020 that was 27 percent he was never going to repeat that but i think last year just went too ba- too far the other way now, this year, he's at 12.8%, which that seems pretty appropriate, I think, given this environment and just the skill set of DJ LeMahieu. So, something like 15 home runs. He's going to approach 100 runs scored. Great batting average. His OBP is 394. He's got a career-high 13.7% walk rate. Lots of like for DJ LeMahieu, especially if you play in a points league or OBP. He's 
He's been very good. It's happy to see him back on track. Uh, RBI leaders in July, Aaron Judge, 32. Austin <laughs> Riley had 25. Matt Olson, his teammate, also had 25. So uh, nice to see those Atlanta Braves coming around. Steals, Ronald Acuna had nine steals. Bobby Witt Jr. had eight. Uh, Scott, do you have any concerns over Acuna? I, I, I've seen some Twitter folks talking about him. and First year back from torn ACL, you kind of give him the benefit of the doubt, but you know, the power and the RBIs are, are really hurting you for Ronald Acuna. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think he's he's a little off. I think he's a little off, and I, I think he could just catch fire at any moment. Will he run out of time here on, you know, I'm talking on August 2nd now. It's possible the calendar just runs out on him and, and he doesn't quite get locked in. But I don't think there's been a loss of skill or anything. And, yeah, I I, I don't have, like, long-term, I don't have any concerns at all. The fact he's running as aggressively as he is, I mean, that would have been the main thing I was worried about coming off that knee surgery. You mentioned he's just off, and you see it in the batted ball distribution all season long. Uh, 49.7% ground ball rate. That's by far a career high for Ronald Acuna. So that puts a cap on his power upside. And his infield fly ball rate, nearly 16%. Again, that's more than double his uh, his mm-hmm. career average. So Well, and, and both of those could be an indication of a guy who's pressing, too. He's just... yeah. He, he knows he's not performing up to his usual standards and he's trying to hit three home runs every at bat. And you see, you see a lot more pop-ups and ground balls when a guy's doing that. For our StatCast crowd, I did have some barrel leaders for July. You guessed it. Aaron Judge and Austin Riley each had 20 for the month. But the one I wanted to mention here, Scott, Eloy Jimenez. He was fifth on this list with 13 barrels in July. And during that time, 95 mile per hour average exit velocity, just a 39% ground ball rate. So in the past, hitting the ball on the ground too much has been a huge issue for Eloy Jimenez. But since returning from injury, he's putting the ball in the air. He's hitting the ball really hard. If, it's a big if, if he can stay healthy for the rest of the season, I think eventually you'll start to see more of these results come around. So that was the hitter I was referring to earlier where if you could still buy players, trade for players... I would be looking to acquire Eloy Jimenez. Yeah, I, I think he's. I think it would be highly attainable. I mean, he's just been whoever's had him all this time. It feel, feels like he's been lugging him around and not getting much to show for it. So I think if you made a respectable offer, it'd be pretty attainable. Somebody on Twitter asked me what I would offer for Eloy, and it's always hard to give a precise answer. But I was thinking a pitcher in like the 30 to 40 range, Scott, someone like a Logan Gilbert or a Nestor Cortez or Zach Gallen. I don't know how realistic that is. Like maybe you have to toss in another lesser piece to get it done, but that's uh, kind of the idea that I, I had. I think it sounds too high to me. Really? Okay. Yeah. If you're trying to buy low, I, I don't know that I'd give up a pitcher that good for Aloy Jimenez. Um, Fair. You know, it, to some degree it depends on the scoring format. It's easier to do, I guess, in a standard roto with five outfielders and and fewer pitcher spots to fill. Maybe you can give up the pitcher easier. But no, I'd, I'd aim a little lower than that. All right. On the pitching side of things for July, the ERA leader was Dylan Cease, 0.76. Carlos Carrasco was the only other starter who had an ERA under one for the month. Whip leader, Cole Irvin, 0.65. All those starts against the Astros where he just absolutely crushes them. And, you know, it's going to add up to an amazing whip. Merrill Kelly, 0.77 whip. He had a phenomenal month as well. Your wins leader was Dylan Cease. He had five wins, strikeouts. His former teammate, Carlos Rodon, had 53 strikeouts with the Giants. And then your saves leader, we had four tied with seven saves each. Edwin Diaz, Jordan Romano, Daniel Bard, and Tanner Scott, all of whom seem like they will remain their team's closers throughout the trade deadline. We'll see what happens with the Marlins. Uh, Other, I guess, deeper metrics for pitchers. Scott, how about this? (laughs) Things that I like to look at a lot for for pitchers, K minus walk rate, Sierra, that's skill interactive ERA. It's kind of like XFIP, but it takes it a little bit further. And then swinging strike percentage. Your leader for all three categories in July Shohei Otani. All right. 
<laughs> for Shohei. It's crazy, man. His Sierra was 1.78. His swinging strike rate, 19.5%. He's good. He's pretty good. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, there's some debate whether it's going to be him, MVP again, or, or Aaron Judge, who's, of course, having a historic season. And I think it's a, I think it's a fair debate. But, like, where do you think Shohei Otani is going to place just in Cy Young voting? I hadn't thought about it. Um, I'm sure he will get knocked a little bit because he won't finish with as many innings as other pitchers. Yeah, but I got to feel like he's going to get some votes. Yeah, I mean... I don't think he's going to win it, but... I guess I, w- I would have to pull up the rest of the pit. Like, at probably top five, right, in the American League at least... Shane O'Mac, Shane McClanahan, and Justin Verlander are kind of battling for that top spot right now. Garrett, mm. Garrett Cole's having a very good season. Like He'll probably get some votes. Alec Manoa, Dylan Cease. Yeah. You know, there, there are some candidates. But, but I can see, but top, I I can see top five. Funny. Yeah, he could. It's possible. Uh, speaking of Aaron Judge, you mentioned he hit his 43rd home run of the season here on Monday. And I saw this stat from uh, Joel Sherman. Judge has 43 home runs in the Yankees' first 104 games this season. Barry Bonds had 45 homers in the Giants' first 104 games back in 2001 when he hit 73 homers. So uh, a lot of people will point to 61, Roger Maris, Aaron Judge kind of chasing that record and I guess trying to surpass it as well. But I don't think Bonds' record is like within strikeable distance for Aaron Judge, but I don't know. Based based on that stat, it's... It, based on crazy. that, it is, but yeah. yeah, it would take, I have a hard time believing he'll be able to sustain his July pace over August and September, so. <laughs> but yeah, could he exceed 60 at this point? I think that's very much within reach. All right, let's get back over to some pitching from Monday. We had a few pitchers duels here. Nathan Avaldi at Luis Garcia. Avaldi went six and a third, four hits, two unearned runs, two walks, six strikeouts, However, the velocity was still down big in this start. Two miles per hour on each of the fastball, the cutter, and the curve for Nathan Avaldi. Luis Garcia on the other side, seven innings, three runs, five strikeouts. He had 13 swinging strikes, and he's having a fine season, Scott. 381 ERA over a strikeout per inning, 13% swinging strike rate. That is Luis Garcia. Anything you'd like to add on him and Avaldi in these in these two starts? Yeah, I still don't. I don't trust it for Avaldi with his velocity down that much. His previous three starts since returning from the the injury, he had an 11.08 ERA in them, and it's you know losing that much velocity. He's a pitcher who defends depends quite a bit on velocity, and so i I think uh, I think this start at Houston is going to be more the exception than the rule if he doesn't get it back up. All right, let's move over to one other pitcher's duel. Daniel Lynch at Michael Kopech. Was it was it actually a pitcher's duel or or just inept offense? Uh, I guess maybe a little bit of each. Daniel Lynch, five and a third shutout innings, six hits, zero walks, seven strikeouts for him. His first start back from the IL. He was dealing with a blister. I kind of feel like there could be something here, Scott, with Daniel Lynch. You know, lefty throws mid nineties. He has a very good slider. Third pitch isn't great. He's, he needs some refinement, but I, I kind of feel like there's something there. And then Michael Kopech mm-hmm. was very good on the other side. Seven innings, two runs, three strikeouts to one walk. Uh, velocity up one mile per hour on the fastball in this one. Nearly two miles per hour on his slider. Still didn't get you know many whiffs or strikeouts. Uh, what do you think here yeah. on Lynch and Kopech? Yeah, that was my takeaway for Kopech, too. It was nice to see the velocity improve, but it didn't really show up in the ways we would expect it to. So I'm still still not sure what his long-term prognosis is. And I agree with you on Daniel Lynch. I mean, it's not a stretch to say that there's upside here because, you know, he was he was considered, I believe, the Royals. Well, there was Bobby Witt still, but he was among the Royals' top prospects, their best pitching prospects, certainly, coming into last year. And is at least shown he's capable of missing bats. And that's the that's the most important thing. If you're a pitcher breaking into the league, if you can miss bats, you have you have a, a major 
tool to work with. And so I think his focus going forward is going to be limiting walks and, and maybe cutting down on the fly balls so he's not so vulnerable to the home run. But I think Daniel Lynch remains something of a dynasty league asset, sure. Alrighty, let's move over to a few other pitching standouts from Monday. Max Scherzer now has six straight quality starts since returning from the IL. He went six and two-thirds. He allowed three runs. Two of those were earned with five strikeouts. Mike Clevenger, another great start against the Rockies. Seven innings, one run, six strikeouts, 15 swinging strikes in this one. Lowers his ERA to 3.13. And Andrew Heaney, another solid start. I wouldn't call this one a banger, Scott, but it, it was mm. it was solid. He just it was didn't a banger, Frank. He just didn't go that deep into his starts. I uh, uh, didn't in the last one either. Four innings, one run, seven strikeouts here for Andrew Heaney. Uh, what yeah. do you think about these three? I definitely like Clevenger for starters. Um, well, I guess I like all three. Definitely like Scherzer. Um, Clevenger, you know, I talked about him after his last start. I, he's one of my breakout players for the second half, and so far, so good. Last three starts have been excellent. Six plus innings in five of his last six. And he just looks like the Clevenger we all knew and loved before the Tommy John surgery, despite all the fits and starts this season. And Andrew Heaney, yeah, he hasn't had a bad start yet. He, he does need to start going deeper. Obviously, newly back from injury, you cut him some slack for now. But I definitely like what I'm seeing from him. All righty, let's talk about some hitters. Finally. What do we have first? We have, I would like to acknowledge the Cleveland Guardians middle infielder, Scott. They've both been very good this season. Andres Jimenez has been even better than Ahmed Rosario. Um, he went four for five with three steals on Monday. 303 batting average for the season. 12 homers, 11 steals. That is a near 2020 pace over 150 games. He's performing well against lefties this season. That's Andres Jimenez. And Ahmed Rosario went three for six, hit his fifth home run. He's batting 293 overall with 10 steals. Since the start of June, this is 56 games now for Rosario. He's hitting 333, all five of his homers, 37 runs, 27 RBI. Uh, Scott, I know you don't typically like Ahmed Rosario all that much, but he's performing, as is Andres Jimenez. So, wanted to give them a shout-out. Yeah. They are... They're fine. They're they're they have they have become solid contributors this year. I don't think either has stud potential, but they've been good, obviously. All right. Uh Jimenez especially. I mean, I think his ADP was like, I don't know, outside of the top three hundred and he's really only being targeted in, in deeper leagues. Uh I'm kind of filibustering here because I did want to see where he ranks for the season in Roto. He is the well with with three additional stolen bases in this game. That's probably going to change the calculation quite a bit. So he yeah. went from eight to eleven stolen bases in Monday's game here. So even before Monday's huge game for Jimenez, he was the seventy seventh overall player in roto category leagues this year. I find that that's massive. Seventy seventh overall hitter or player. Seventy seventh player overall. I could probably come up with 77 players I want more than Andres Jimenez. <laughs> I agree with but, you, but I mean, it just, just goes to show how, how great he, he really has been. Uh, let's evaluate some rookie hitters here. Adley Rutschman went three for four with two doubles. And over his last 40 games, he's batting 294 with five home runs, 18 doubles, 21 walks to 26 strikeouts, an 11% barrel rate, ton of line drives. And Scott, I feel like, the old adage was, you know, young player comes up, hits a lot of doubles. Hopefully those turn into home runs as they become more comfortable uh, in the league, which I still think is a very realistic possibility for Adley Rutschman. But even mm -hmm. if it doesn't, he looks like he is going to be a head-to-head -head points star based on his plate discipline, the doubles, ability to get on base, just he looks like he's going to be amazing. And, and the plate yeah. appearances too, right? Like, He's going to DH. He's going to play catcher. He looks like he's going to be an absolute stud in that format. Yeah, so I think we have... Uh, we, we're, it's, going to be, it's going to be kind of a debate, I think. The top five at catcher next year, I think you're going to have... I think Rushman deserves to be in the running. Salvador Perez, of course. I think Kirk is in that discussion. Alejandro Kirk. And then Will Smith 
Um, and I guess Wilson Contreras would have to be in the discussion. I mean, maybe JT Realmuto will still be. I mean, I, you know, we're we're kind of. I don't know if I would necessarily put all those guys in the same tier, but you could certainly make the case that they are, and that's that's a, as big a top tier catcher as we've had in a long time. And potentially even more talent coming on the way uh, between yes. all the prospects, Gabriel Moreno and uh, Francisco Alvarez and Austin Wells with the Yankees. If he remains on the Yankees, well, I guess we'll see. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot more than that even. There, there's a lot of guys I'd probably put ahead of Austin Wells even. Um, uh, you know, the, the number one draft pick last year, Henry Davis. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Tyler Soderstrom. I didn't, I didn't even mention him with, with Oakland. So. Yeah. No, I don't think I, I kind of don't think Tyler Soderstrom's going to last at catcher. I'll probably make it up to the majors somewhere else. And, and the same probably goes for Austin Wells too, but for now they're catcher prospects. Uh, all right. Two other rookies. I, I just wanted to take a look at here and get your thoughts, Scott. Alec Thomas went three for five with a run scored. He's, Kind of slowed down. He's batting 252. He's got seven homers, four steals in 71 games. So it's like a modest 15-10 pace for the season. A lot of ground balls. He's been very bad against lefties. And Jaron Duran went two for four, hit his second home run. Uh, he accounted for all three of the Red Sox RBI in this game. Overall, he's hitting 245 with two homers, seven steals in 37 games. Lots of strikeouts, lots of ground balls for Jaron Duran. Uh, what do you think about those two? Where are you at on Alec Thomas and Duran? I like Duran more right now because he does have that stolen base element that that really Alec Thomas hasn't provided in in a meaningful way. Duran, you know, he he sits a little more often, but for the most part, he's you know he, he's he's starting like five times a week, and generally batting at the top of the lineup when he is, and and stealing bases. So, I think he's the better option. Thomas has kind of been underwhelming, especially lately. And I've, I I, consider dropping him in a, a deep five outfielder Roto League, ultimately decided not to. But I, I don't see him as like a bankable starter right now by any stretch. All right. I mentioned for Alex Thomas that uh, he struggled against lefties. Jaron Duran has really struggled against lefties as well. So uh, they kind of both have that issue right now. J.J. Bladé, we talked about recently. Um we're in, you know, overly excited about him coming up. You know, maybe in deeper leagues to take a shot, but he went 0 for 4 on Monday with three strikeouts. He's now batting 167 with a 37 percent strikeout rate. So, uh, yeah, not looking very good for JJ Bladé, unfortunately. Yeah, probably gonna get sent down soon. All right, let's uh, quickly rank these corner infielders. Alas, you know, another day we've got to mention Jose Miranda. He went two for four with three RBI. He's up to 70 percent rostered. Nice to see, finally climbing there. Nate Lowe went three for four. He is now batting 280 overall with 15 home runs in 97 games. He's got that launch angle up this season. Uh, love to see it. And then Trey Mancini, who we mentioned in our emergency podcast earlier on Monday, he got traded to the Astros. Should be a huge upgrade for him. He's got all three of these guys are right around 70% rostered. How would you rank them if you need a corner infielder? Miranda, Nate Lowe, Trey Mancini. Miranda's the easy one to put number one. Obviously, he's third base eligible, and he has been, since that 5 for 53 start, his numbers have looked very much like what he put up between AA and AAA last year when he was arguably the best performer in all the minors. So, very excited about Jose Miranda. Now, it's a tougher call between Nathaniel Lowe and, and um, Trey Mancini. If you, if you didn't catch it, you know, if you didn't catch the emergency podcast we put out earlier today, both for the Josh Hader trade and then there was one uh, breaking down the Frankie Molentos trade that also included this Trey Mancini trade. Be, you know, there's, there's a reason we haven't talked about them in depth on this podcast because we already talked about them. So be sure you don't miss those. Uh, but. What's notable about Trey Mancini is he pulls the ball in the air more than the usual hitter. And because of the dimension changes at uh, Camden Yards this year, it was like a worst-case scenario for him because now it's it's just so hard for a, 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 somebody to hit it over that, that left-field fence. 
Uh, Minute Maid Park, where the Astros play, on the other end of the spectrum, they got that short porch in left field. Now, you're talking a difference of dozens of feet in straightaway left between those two ballparks. And so, fittingly, according to StatCast, if Trey Mancini had played all of his games at Minute Maid Park this year, he would have 22 home runs instead of the 10 he has. So that's a big park upgrade for him. Obviously, he won't be playing all his games at Minute Maid Park, just the home ones. But still, it's 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 a much better home environment for him now. So I'm going to give him the edge over Nathaniel Lowe, but I do want to point out for Lowe that uh, just since the start of June, um, where the launch ego really started to improve for him, he's batting 286 with an 850 OPS. I mean, if, if you got... If you had said you were going to get those numbers from Nathaniel Lowe at the start of the season, he probably would have been a top 20, drafted as a top 20 first baseman. Mm, I mean, of all the amazing things that have happened this season, Nathaniel Lowe and Andres Jimenez just kind of breaking out together. This is just beautiful. I love it. <laughs> Some hitting leftovers from Monday. If there's anything else that stands out here, Scott, just stop me and feel free to talk about it. Uh, mentioned Aaron Judge hit his 43rd home run. Anthony Rizzo has now homered three games in a row. He is up to 26 homers. Jose Trevino had a double dong. He is up to nine home runs total. He had nine career home runs entering this season. The Mets' big boppers were out. Pete Alonso went two for three with two walks and his 27th home run. Francisco Lindor hit his 18th. And Brandon Nimmo went four for five with a double and a run scored. If this is the last game for Juan Soto in a Nationals uniform, he went out in style. It was a very good game. One for one, three walks, a sock and a shoe, 21st homer, sixth steal, and uh, that homer came off of Max Scherzer. So, obviously, pretty impressive. Dalton Varsho went two for four with his 14th homer. Christian Walker went two for five with his 24th homer. I keep waiting for the batting average to climb a little bit for Christian Walker. He's hitting 203. His 187 BABIP is lowest among qualified hitters. And his expected batting average is 247. So, yeah. Well, it only went down in July. He had a bad month. (laughs) Yeah. I think good to see him get off to a good start here in July, in August. I think he hit something like 186 in July. It was was rough. Cedric Mullins went two for four with his ninth homer. He added two RBI and three runs scored. Corey Seager returned from his leg injury and hit his 24th homer. His career high is 26. Have a good feeling. He will pass that. And Trey yeah. Turner hit his 17th home run of the season as well. The call to the bullpen for the Reds. Hunter Strickland entered with a three-run lead. He gave up a run on two hits, but picked up his seventh save of the season. For the Diamondbacks, Mark Melanson entered with a one-run lead in the 10th inning. He had a ghost runner on second, and he allowed that run to score. He then starts the 11th, and he does the same exact thing. He takes his 10th loss of the season. He's had to give up a lot of these like ghost runners, Scott, because every time I see that his ERA is only in the fours, I can't believe it. I, I feel like Mark Melanson's ERA should be over 10. Like every time he's out there, he gives up a run. It's how is it only four something? I, I don't know. You said it's his 10th loss of the season. 10th loss. We're two thirds of the way. So he's, he's a relief pitcher on pace for 15 losses. <sighs> That's hard to do. I mean, maybe it's, <laughs> yeah. maybe it's not as hard to do with the, the ghost runner rule. Yeah, th- I, that has to be it. He has to give up a lot of those runs because his ERA yeah. is four six six. It feels like he's been a lot worse than that. I I, mm. I don't know. For the Red Sox, Tanner Houck struck out one for his seventh save. Garrett Whitlock did pitch two innings on Sunday. For the Royals, Scott Barlow pitched the final two innings for his 17th save. And then the Padres... Obviously, Josh Hader, not in uniform yet. Nick Martinez recorded four outs across the eighth and ninth. And then uh, he had a three-run lead. He allowed two batters to reach. He was pulled for Luis Garcia, who recorded the final two outs for his second save. And I do apologize to anyone who added Luis Garcia on Sunday because just bad timing. I'm, I'm sorry. To stream or not to stream, let's uh, wrap up with this. On Tuesday, Graham Ashcraft at the Marlins, Braxton Garrett versus the Reds, Chris Archer versus the Tigers, Keegan Thompson at the Cardinals, Jordan Lyles at the Rangers, Spencer Howard versus the Orioles, Cutter Crawford at the Astros, 
Brad Keller at the White Sox, and Cole Irvin at the Angels. There are a few I like here. I'm trying to remember what order I ranked them in in my sleeper pitchers article so that I can be consistent for. Uh, because I think I ranked... Okay, I got it open here now. I ranked Braxton Garrett ahead of Cole Irvin. I wasn't sure about those two. So, obviously, pretty good matchup, Garrett, against Cincinnati. Amazing matchup, Irvin and, at the Angels, and he's coming off an amazing month. But trust the skill set for Garrett a little more. Either of them would be fine streamers. And I also don't mind Graham Ashcraft at the Marlins. Good matchup there. All right. Wednesday, we have Yusei Kikuchi at the Rays, Madison Bumgarner at the Guardians, Kyle Bradish at the Rangers, Brady Singer at the White Sox, and Mike Miner at the Marlins. Only one of those I can really get behind is Brady Singer at the White Sox. Yusei Kikuchi at Tampa. That may turn out okay, but I'm... I'm not ready to trust him yet. Brady Singer is 79% rostered on CBS, and he is 50% rostered on Yahoo. So if you need a daily streamer there, could be available. Brady Singer Mm -hmm. at the White Sox on Wednesday. We're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball Today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.